Hi, this is Kalia. And this is Chris. And this is It's, it's a, a Queer, queer thing. thing. On this show, we focus on politics, civil rights, news, and entertainment. And on this show, we have special guests and interviews focusing on issues relevant to the LGBTQ plus community. So let's get to it. Happy Pride, Kalia. Happy Pride, Chris. More happy Pride, <laughs> Kalia. Happy more Pride, Chris. <laughs> we're, we're in the we're in the almost third week of the month, so we're you know the Pride has just been flowing through <laughs> us over and over and flowing over you. So, but still, we love Pride. So we... Pride, Pride. pride. <laughs> <laughs> we're not quite sick of Pride yet, but we're getting close. We're yeah. getting close. There's I, a lot I... going on this month. There, there was. And this episode, what we have for you guys today is kind of special because it's not just one interview. It's two interviews with some drag queens in Tennessee. And we, you know, we again, I've said this before, but we reached out to drag performers across the country. These two performers are from Knoxville, Tennessee, which really interested us because uh, we'll talk about this later. Some laws that got passed in Tennessee and the restrictions that are facing drag performers and trans people in Tennessee. Exactly. It seems kind of like, as you'll hear, a litmus test of, of how people will respond to these types of things. So the first interview that we have today is Harry Scary, who is a alternative drag performer. And don't worry, that term is... D- defined and explained in the in the interview we're going to hear and then after that interview Chris and I are going to come back we're going to talk some more about the changes because just you know heads up little behind the curtain magic here we recorded these interviews in late May of 2023 but um for those of you listening as this episode's coming out it's coming out at the end of June 2023 so things have changed as political things often do but Here we go. Let's listen to our interview with Harry Scary. All right, everybody. We we are here with Andrew Henry, who is also known as Harry Scary, who performs in Knoxville. Andrew, Harry, welcome. Hello. Hello. It's good to be here. Yeah. Tell us about yourself. So I am an alternative drag performer in Tennessee, one of the few, one of the very proud. And I've been performing for the last five years in Knoxville, uh, based in Knoxville. And I, I travel all over the country and just try to share my art with the world, really. Can I ask what your gender identity is? Yeah. So I, I uh, consider myself to be non-binary. I use they, them pronouns. Okay. And Harry is kind of an extension of that. I started drag because... It's a way to present your gender any way that you want it to be in a lot of ways. So uh, I kind of consider drag to be the art form of gender. And when you open up the, the sandbox, there are just endless types of possibilities and different ways that you can you can manipulate that sand. I really like that, the art form of gender. But you said you're an alternative drag performer. What do you mean by alternative? Do you do you dance to 90s alternative music? What is that? What does that mean to you? Sometimes. Sometimes. Oh. If, if the feeling, yeah. Uh so I I find that the more that I've been immersed in the community, the more that there is a very traditional sense of what drag can be, which is female or male impersonation from the opposite gender. And obviously 
there are there are trans women who do uh, drag and trans men who do drag um, and present as their own gender, just elevated in a certain way. But what my I like to um, play in both gender bending and just uh, the full extent of the gender uh, spectrum. And in a lot of ways that can that is considered alternative as opposed to I, I like to frame it in a lot of ways like in music drag would be like music and there's all sorts of different little sub genres of drag within music so whereas many people are top 40 i like to be that underground sonic youth style drag quite often although i have dipped into some uh top 40 myself uh, <laughs> every once in a while the reason that we're profiling drag performers in the month of june pride month not despite the fact that we love drag performers and many of our friends are drag performers but we're really interested in what's going in, going on across the country as far as the restrictions the uh legislations the bans etc what are you facing is knoxville your hometown yeah, I've lived in Knoxville for about 15 years, ever since I was in middle school. So it's probably even longer, not to age myself specifically. But um, yeah, I've been here for a long, long time. And it's really a bummer to see the extremism creep into Tennessee. It's never been a haven for like progressive causes in this uh, city or state. But I feel like Tennessee tended to just toe the party line and stay out of the news as like the first to do this or the first to do that until recently with these drag headlines it it's just it it beckons to a growing extremism that is really concerning and has us looking over our shoulders and feeling less comfortable being ourselves more than ever before do you find that people who come to see your shows are concerned about this as well? Like they might be part of a raid or whatever this turns into. Like uh, one of the things we wanted to ask you about was family friendly drag performances. Do you participate in any drag brunches or anything where children might be around and that might be considered, you know, a threat by the population and then you might be under the spotlight? I have, but not recently. It's not worth it. Aww. It's dangerous now to do. Uh, the protesting has become pretty violent. There aren't very many all-ages drag shows in Tennessee right now that I know of. Were there before and they've changed because of the new stuff? Or I can only really speak for Knoxville. Tennessee is a very large state. Um, they have three big areas where there is drag, Memphis, Nashville, and Knoxville, and then all the outer cities as well. Knoxville had a couple of drag queen story hours, very, not, not, not a lot. A um, lot of brunches. I mean, Pride every year was an all-ages event and will continue to be. But the protesting for a lot of these venues got to be so bad that a lot of drag entertainers just decided it wasn't worth risking our lives for this. And fr frankly, I personally don't really enjoy all-ages drag shows. It's not my it's not my brand. It's not what I do. And my, and a lot of drag performers like we we don't see ourselves as children performers whenever a parent would bring their child to an all-ages drag show we kind of like we would obviously modify our performances to suit that like any performer can like robin williams can be in an r-rated movie and then do mrs doubtfire exactly but um i kind of feel like that's the parent's decision when i was a child i know that i, I remember plenty of kids who were parents were taking them to r-rated movies all the time so yeah. at the end of the day i don't consider myself to be a babysitter 
So uh, that's not the job that I signed up for. It is really the parents' discretion. And, and the fact that it's a legal situation now is, is really confusing and jarring. I just, I can't imagine the, this, the shoey on the other foot. And we were taking a look at maybe these uh, like church school, like performances or these weird musicals that they do that they would ever receive the same type of speculation, even though many of those are not child appropriate in my view. I've been Pat Christ. I would not take my child to that. <laughs> would not take your child to what? Passion of the Christ. Right, right. I just saw something on that today, as a matter of fact. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a bizarre world because uh, uh, Tennessee is obviously we we are in our the Bible Belt of the country. Personally, I don't find because I, I I'm originally like I I spent the first thirteen years of my life in Chicago or the suburbs of Chicago. I I think that there is religion everywhere in this country. There, there might be a different brand from from here here to there, but it's it's really frustrating to see just the different standards of morality leak its way into our legislation because it's just completely against the the fundamentals of what makes this country and uh, the founding principles of our country. So that 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 is where I'm <laughs> personally. So obviously, drag has become more political now than it was a little while ago. I mean, it's always been in some ways political, but it's definitely gotten ratcheted up, especially there, the hotbed of of Tennessee. But are you a political drag artist? Were you already politically minded and activated? Or did this kind of get you more excited or angry about politics? Where do you fall on that? Well, I mean... Like, I feel like drag is inherently political in a lot of ways, just from the history of drag and LGBT rights in this country. Drag has always been a part of it. That is one of the main reasons that when these laws started to pop up, our pride essentially said, if we can't do drag shows at our pride celebration, we're not doing our pride celebration. And uh, that caused that was a really controversial opinion. But I understand it because drag is integral to LGBT rights and to not have drag there and to just kind of push them aside and say, well, we, we will celebrate without you is wrong. It's it's it, like the entire basis of pride and the, the politics of pride is inclusivity and drag and um, like drag queens have always been pushing for that at the forefront. So drag has always been a political art form. As far as activism, for me personally, I mean, I, I, I'll show up to every um, every protest that there can be, but this has activated me in a way that I haven't felt activated in a long time. And I think, I mean, obviously it's part of it is because it, in, it involves my job. But I think that the, the thing that has really got me going on it is that ultimately I think that drag queens are a scapegoat for trans people. Mm-hmm. In the in all of this legislation, like we, because frankly, I don't really think that they know the difference or care, um, sure. and they don't trust their legislation, or they don't trust their they don't trust their voter base to really understand the difference. And really, I I believe that this is part of what they're hoping will be an eventual trans genocide, and I just don't want to be the person to sit by and say I could have done something and didn't mm-hmm. uh, you, you would ask me about the audiences one of the most frustrating things about our audiences in knoxville has been just the they don't know um they're not they're not informed and i think that that's by design is that they're trying to pass these laws as secretly as possible the fact that these became national news stories 
was I don't I don't think that was ever part of the plan. I don't think that they expected people to care as much about like such a small group of people. And so, I mean, the first time that I made a um, because I've been talking about this every show, um, every show that I host, uh, we, we talk about what's going on in our legislation. And the first few ones, it was a little depressing because nobody knew. And th- those are people in our community that didn't know. When Knox Pride canceled, threatened to cancel Pride, that was really the first time we saw a big response from people who didn't identify as trans or in the drag community, because for the first time they felt like it involved them, which was real pressing. And um, we need to be doing better there, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, and we've talked about that with other people about how it doesn't really seem, our our position doesn't really seem to gain a foothold unless it affects other people in our community. They look at drag and trans as this other part of our community, but now that it's affecting Pride events, tell me about the Knoxville Pride event. You said they had a discussion about whether to include drag, and I think you said they decided to. So this, obviously, your Pride event is going to be family-friendly. What's the threat of having drag at the Knoxville Pride and are they changing it in any way to keep children away from it? So it was never a matter of them removing drag from Knox Pride. The Pride board was very adamant that they were either going to have a drag at Pride or not have Pride at all. Wow. Because having Pride with the drag queens um, present was not, or like, and, and, and as a whole, um, because of the because of the way that these bills are worded, really, any person who doesn't dress as their assigned gender is right. at risk. Is is um it's it's just a false pride. So it was a it was a bold stance for them to make, and I really respected it. It alienated a lot of people. It alienated a lot of the right people too, because they started getting involved once they thought that their free party might get taken away. I, I don't know the specifics about what Pride is going to look like this year. I know they've discussed it with me. They, they have been working around the clock on the safest way to do this to make sure that everybody is, is safe and guaranteed to have a great time and not have to worry. We will always, we, there will be protesters. There are protesters every year, but we need to make sure that they're away from us and not being violent. I do know that it might be a ticketed event this year, so that that's not been confirmed. But they, um, because the the bills have been blocked by a judge, they're not currently in effect. So, and I believe that that will extend through Pride. So they are allowed to do this. This is we're not breaking the law at this moment. Although I friggin' would, <laughs> I don't like. Good. Don't get me wrong, like. So even if you're not breaking the law, though, I mean, there must be a fear of you said you have protesters every year at Knoxville Pride. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And like I, what kind of protesters? I don't think that that's unique to at least most of the prides that I've been to. There are some sort of there's some sort of demagoguery protesting, you know, signs of like you're burning in hell. There's almost always somebody with a megaphone who has a lot of lung power that's been practicing that speech over and over in the mirror. And uh, I mean, for people who claim to hate gay uh, people so much, they never miss a gay event. Yeah. You know, in Fresno, we had, we're 31, 32 years. I don't remember what for Brian. 33. 33. Okay. And the first three or four, we had KKK members. The first one, a lot of KKK members, and then it dwindled into nothing. We don't really get protests anymore. We make it the occasional person on a corner two blocks away with a religious picket sign. 
So, but it seems like you guys get a lot of it. I'm, I'm wondering, are people concerned that even though the legislation isn't going through because you said it's been blocked by a judge, we have seen acts of violence across the country. Are they concerned that there might be acts of violence because people just now feel free to do that kind of thing? I don't, there's not never a concern, unfortunately, about acts of violence at LGBT events. But frankly, I don't feel like there's a 0% chance of violence anymore anywhere you go. I I know several, especially trans women, the who present as trans women, um, they're afraid to they're afraid to leave their homes. But what message do we send if we if we do nothing? They are going to be taking as many security measures as they can. I know that I have full faith that just like every year, we will be we will be, everybody will have as good of a time as they always do. All we can hope that there won't be an incident. I I haven't heard massive concerns yet but it's always there it, it, it's interesting because they've, they've left the main bars like the the, the venues where they most of the drag shows happen they have been left mostly alone it's really been focused on the ones that um are all ages and so i i haven't seen ever ever since i've stopped doing those little shows i haven't seen protesters at any of my events so they, they seem to remain pretty safe and, and security has been upped for a lot of these places anyway. Like we go over exits and, and things like of that matter. The risk is never zero, but the risk of eliminating something that's so important to so many people, I think, is much, much greater. So when is uh, Knoxville Pride? I know that this will probably come out after, but just so that we can all know. Yeah, so they do Southside Pride, which is a separate Pride event in, in June, and then they do Knoxville Pride. They just moved it to October. That's that's going to be the biggest one. Uh, they they have a bigger crowd every year. I, I believe that they broke a record one of one of these most recent years for most attendees in Knoxville of all places. Wow. So Knox Pride and Southside Pride are are, are technically separate events, but Knox the bo- the board will be present and they will do sp- Knox Pride sponsored events at Southside Pride. Um, it's really cool. It, it's just run by the restaurants in South Knoxville. Essentially, they just wanted to have their separate event because Southside is a little bit away from Knoxville. I, I haven't asked them their total motivations, but basically, I think they just want to have a t- a, another party. There's there's a lot of gay people in Knoxville. They just love they love to party. We'll have to talk to you again closer to October and see what the political climate is is going on at that point. Yeah, it's been stressful, frankly. Uh, it's yeah. been stressful. Uh, although I think that since now that the, the passing of the legislation has come and gone, I, it's been a little quieter. These, these are all rumblings of what I what I'm afraid is going to be much more extremism, a much more extremism down the road. If we don't get organized and really treat this seriously and see it for what it is, we're going to be in a lot of trouble. And not just trans and queer people and not just drag queens. We're all going to be in trouble. Right. I think that's a theme that we've been hearing over and over is that this is the beginning of a much bigger campaign. It's starting with trans people who, you know, because of the inability for people to understand what being transgender is, they're an easy target. And then comes drag queens are an even easier target. Um, and then the gay people come in, and then the women, and then the ethnicities, and it just snowballs from there. But let's talk about you a little bit about your performances. What kind of stuff do you perform? So I like to um, be surprising. <laughs> that's 
my my gig is um high artistry um so i i kind of consider myself to be a drag clown in a lot of ways but some also a lot of my drag is really irreverent there's often a joke or a punchline something tongue-in-cheek or something um exciting that you've never seen before so i like to bring some elements of circus to um to my style even if it's not inherently obvious i used to think of my drag performances each as an episode of a TV show in the life of Harry Scary. Oh. You know, in, in sort of the ways like Mickey Mouse or, or Bugs Bunny would have like a series of terrible events go horribly wrong for them. Slowly but surely, they've, uh, I've developed more stunts. I've done stilts. I've shot sparks from um, me- like metal plates off of my body. Uh, I just, I've done laser light shows. So my drag is all about the thrill and in showing people something that they've hopefully never seen before, all the while trying to keep a, a high level of like makeup artistry and fashion. That's at least my goal is, is to try and, and, be, and be a progressive entertainer that that is constantly pushing themselves to do things they've never that people haven't seen yet. Sounds very cool. So let me ask you this. If you could perform with anybody, living or dead, you could bring them back and perform, who would you want to share the stage with and what song would you want to do? Anybody living or dead? Does it have to be a drag performer? No, anybody at all. Oh, God. I feel like Ludwig Beethoven would be badass. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, but which symphony? (laughs) Oh, my God. I I like the ones where he couldn't hear anymore because at that point it was just a flex. He, he was like, I know music so well that I don't even know what I'm fucking writing. And no, I mean, like Sasha Colby has been my favorite performer for the last five years uh, for drag. So um, I would love to be able to share a stage with somebody of that caliber. I would love to share the stage with other circus performers. <laughs> like give put put a tiger. Don't please. Actually, I take that back. Don't put a tiger on. <laughs> no, I, no, it's here. I, I'm leaving if, it in. You said it. We, yeah. Breaking news. <laughs> Harry Scary <laughs> wants to do a dance with a tiger. You put it out into the universe. It's out there now. Uh, yeah. I mean, I would love. I would have loved to perform with somebody from those old vaudeville. I've, I've been really influenced by old vaudeville or somebody like Judy Garland. Are you familiar with Tranny Shack? Yes, Tranny Shack, absolutely. I think they changed the name, I believe, to make it a little did bit. They, did they finally do it? We had them. I used to be a event planner and DJ at one of our local gay clubs here for many, many years, and we had them as as performers a few years ago, and they were the, just exactly the kind of thing you're talking about. That's how they performed. I mean, maybe they, I know that there's like the Tranimals too, um, are like much more avant garde style drag. That that stuff always really excites me. It's not typical for knoxville um knoxville is very much like a beauty a beauty town in a lot of ways or a dance town so when i came in onto the scene it was it, I, it, I i was a little controversial which i think is cool mm-hmm. uh i think that that's cool i don't i don't set out to be the edgiest person i'm just a little bit strange so that's uh i wouldn't be authentic to myself if i wasn't doing something that was a little bit stranger but yeah, uh, like something like that. I I love heightened like shows with themes. I love everything that Jackie Beat does. I love like those full shows, and I just I love to see shows that make me go, "Wow, 
I need to work harder. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I need to step it up because that's the coolest thing that I've ever seen. And if I'm not doing the coolest things that I've ever seen, then uh, I need to start. (laughs) Those are the kind of entertainers that really excite me. I love I love the kind of drag you're talking about. I think you're right. I think it's it's widespread now that drag has become a beauty show, just like you mentioned, which, you know, is fine. Everybody wants to hear a Whitney Houston song once in a while, but I prefer to see uh, the kind of drag you're talking about. And I want to be clear, I love that drag too. Like I love all sorts of drag. I, I'm I'm a put the put the Spotify playlist on shuffle type person. So that that's I think a show that's well rounded in 2023 is a show that has a little bit of everything. It has that beauty girl, has a great dancer, has a has something a little stranger, and has some some king representation too. That would be nice. Right. We wouldn't want to go to a museum and just see one artist there so why would you want to go to a drag show and only see one type of drag it's just it, it, the art form is too advanced now and, and too diverse now for us to to be putting ourselves in small boxes like that we want to thank you for doing this with us today we want to know how people get in touch with you and follow your persona yeah. Oh, thank you so much. So um, on Instagram, my handle is I am Harry Scary. It's stupidly spelled. So it's H-A-R-R-I-S-C-A-R-I. That's on Instagram. And I believe it's just Harry Scary on TikTok. Um, I don't have a Twitter because who would want one? <laughs> in the, in the, and that those are really usually the best places to find me. Um, I also do host a drag competition here in Knoxville the final Thursday of every month up until October called Ghoul School. Um, they have, it's the second Ghoul School. There's a chapter in Charlotte, North Carolina, and we're the second chapter. So it's essentially a, a school to learn how to be a little bit creepier with your drag. So that's, <laughs> I was aptly uh, assigned to run that show. <laughs> and <laughs> it's been a blast. Every single show so far, we've had some new entertainers doing some of the most exciting work I've seen in Knoxville in years. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for your time and for making this work out. I really, we both really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. It was nice talking to you all. You all have a great rest of your day. All right. You too. Thank you. Okay. So that was our interview with Harry Scary. And I want to say one thing I love about Harry, and I've loved this about other drag performers in Fresno, is alternative drag. Let's put it in quotes, alternative drag, which means mostly adult drag and in harry's case almost primarily adult drag and not the typical drag i mean he's not doing beyonce he's not doing um you know any other he's not doing Katy perry he's doing he's dressing in maybe goth or dark stuff and doing performances that he feels are dramatically inherent to what he wants to portray Right. So I really appreciate that. I, I mean, I appreciate, don't get me wrong. I appreciate traditional drag queens, um, but I like to see the difference. And he's doing this in Knoxville, Tennessee, people. Yeah, for sure. It's so interesting because, you know, on an intellectual level, that there's people all over the world doing stuff all over the world. But I think it's really easy to get into your echo chamber and be like, oh, yeah, I understand drag in Fresno or I understand the political you know, issues here in Fresno or my friends all live here in California. And the to be reminded that there's so many different people all over the world doing very similar and just very different things is just I don't know, it's it's kind of it's refreshing sometimes to remember that we're not just insular on our own. And OK, so I have a question for you about yeah. the alternative drag. Is that the same as 
drag monsters. Because you'll hear, listeners, in our next interview with Story Van Ness, she talks about, she just references real fast at one point drag monsters, and then like the conversation moves on. And so I was never involved in drag and didn't really even know anything about drag until I moved to Fresno 10, 12 years ago. So Chris, what is a drag monster? How is that different? Or is that just another word for alternative drag, the kind of drag that Harry does? Yeah, I mean, it kind of is. I mean, drag monsters are people that step outside the box of traditional drag. So just a quick refresher course, and everybody knows this, drag started as a rebellious act for um, LGBTQ men who cross-dressed as women because it expressed their rejection of the misogyny by traditional society and the rejection of uh, homosexuals in general. And it became very traditional. I mean, in, in the 60s, 50s, 60s, 70s, it, it, it could go both ways. But then after the 80s, 90s, it became very traditional. So drag monsters are, are in the vein of club monsters. It's people that, you know, do their own thing, um, wear more alternative makeup and do alternative performances, which means they may do anything in a performance instead of just traditional lip syncing stuff. Um, I really appreciate that. We used to have a performer here in town that is, uh, her name is Hazard Strange. Oh yeah, I remember Hazard. Yeah, and Hazard was great because she dressed very gothically, very alternatively. She was nothing like any other drag performer in Fresno. And there was a controversy because she was female doing drag. At a point in Fresno, there was this whole controversy about can females do drag? Right, not as a drag king, but she was a, a persona of Hazard Strange, which was like a, a drag. I think she called herself a um, a gothic, scary drag clown at one point. But it was like it's like always over the top and and very much of a different vein, like you're saying. I haven't yeah, seen her so much in the last couple of years, actually. No, she she moved to Vegas. Actually, she doesn't oh. live here anymore. Well, there but, you yeah. go. That's why. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> But she started to call it faux drag, and we had a, con a contest at the North Tower Circle where there was controversy about whether she could perform because she's a female performing in female drag, and is that really drag? And so there was a whole conversation about it, and she was allowed to perform, and it became, they called it at the time, faux, F-A-U-X, drag. I'm not sure what they call it now. I think they just call it drag, because even on RuPaul's Drag Race, there are transgender people doing drag, which was another controversy in the community. Can mm -hmm. trans people perform in drag? I mean, because traditionally, drag is gay males performing as females. And then on RuPaul's Drag Race, they even had a straight guy who was doing drag. So it has evolved. Yeah, it's really and interesting. I think there's room for everybody. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure, for sure. Well, so that is Harry Scary. And I, you know, you heard the Instagram handle a second ago, but it's, you know, it's Harry Scary as on Instagram. And I definitely encourage the listeners to go and look up and see some of the pictures so you can get a real good visual of what we're talking about in terms of alternative drag. But speaking of a trans woman doing drag, our next interview is with Story Van Ness. And again, listeners, this was recorded in May. So Chris, do our time capsule. What was going on a month ago and how has that changed in the last month in terms of what is going on in Tennessee? Well, in Tennessee, on March 2nd, Governor Bill Lee signed into law a bill banning drag shows in public spaces. So this has been going on across the country where legislators, governors, mayors are trying to ban drag performances in public. It started as we don't want drag performances around children, which could, you know, be very specialized. 
Then they moved into, we don't want drag performances in public. Then they moved into, we don't want anything at a pride episode, a pride parade or pride festival that might involve children anywhere near drag queens. And all of this is under the guise of the fact that we indoctrinate children, which is total BS. And we all know that. So that was on March 2nd, Governor Bill Lee um, signed that or not signed that, but passed that law. And then it was a delayed beginning, though, right? It was supposed to start in the end of June or sometime in July. And then in April, what happened? In April, we have Judge Parker, Judge Thomas L. Parker, who said he put a stay on that. And he said, it's not going to enact until I can hear about it and I discuss it. And he recently, at the beginning of June, said this law is unconstitutional. You can't deny drag performers uh, the right to perform. And you can't consider all drag performances adult performances because the original law criminalized drag performances as adult cabaret and said they were harmful to minors. So Judge Parker said that's not going to fly. I'm overruling it. And he did that around June 3rd. So as of now in Tennessee, I don't think there's anything past that. In Tennessee, the law has been deemed unconstitutional and drag performances can continue. Yeah. So you'll hear a story talking about living under that law and the fear of that and how it's been affecting the people in the community. And we talked, you know, there was a a brief, tiny moment of thinking, well, should we change this interview or should we like go back and redo it? But here's the thing, people, this is just one of many laws and they're going to try it again and again and again. So unfortunately, this this interview is is a little evergreen because, yes, it's not currently this case in Tennessee, but we all know that the writing's on the wall and we'll hear Story talk. Story's got a very political mind and she talks a lot about what is at the root cause and what this actually means for not just drag queens, but transgender people as a whole. Yeah. And what's interesting about Story is she is trans. She identifies as trans and she has a child and she you'll hear her talk about the ramifications of her as a trans person having a child, adopting a child. This I want people to understand this doesn't you, you know, you got you talk about drag performers, but this is not just about drag performers. What this really is. I mean, it's twofold. It's a te- these legislations and movements that are going across the country are attacking drag performers because apparently they're all pedophiles and indoctrinated children. And they're also going after the trans community because in the people's minds that are passing these laws and talking about these issues, trans people and drag people, and often they are in the same group, are all the same, cut from the same cloth. But the real point is they all think we're pedophiles and then we're indoctrinating children. And, you know, that is so far from the truth. Yes. Definitely. Um, And one last thing that I want to talk about that you'll hear Story mention, and she says, if you don't know what this is, look it up. And I looked it up. So she is going to talk about something real quick. She's going to call it Pachacucha. What the fuck is that? Okay, so Pachacucha, I had never heard of it before she said, she's like, if you don't know what that is, look it up. And then again, the conversation moved on. I had to look it up. What it is, it is a you are given... You basically make a presentation or you tell a story and you have 20 slides, you know, in PowerPoint or Google Slides or whatever, and they are go up on the screen for only 20 seconds and then they immediately go to the next one and you only have 20 of them. They're only up there for 20 seconds. So under seven minutes to tell your story, make your presentation. They are used sometimes as uh, icebreakers and like team building events 
or you know past the rattle type stories or or opening up whatever anyways it's kind of an interesting concept it sounds like it would be a lot more fun if maybe somebody else got to like assign random google images to your Ooh. 20 second slides it sounds like a party game that needs alcohol and i kind of want to play so <laughs> but anyways if you hear that word that's what that means i had to look it up so you're welcome <laughs> listeners <laughs> all right so let's get into this uh interview right now with story van s from knoxville tennessee Hello, thank you so much for being with us today. We are so excited to have Story Van Ness. And Story, can you tell us your your full name, your drag name, your pronouns, who you are, and what you do? So my name is Story Van Ness. I use she, they pronouns. Um, when I am in drag, I use, uh, I go by the, the name, the Lady Victra. I am an educator. I am an advocate. I am the assistant director of the Knox Pride Community Resource Center. And I'm a new foster mom. And that's been why it's been hard to get to me this week. But I am a new foster mom. And I'm very excited about that. Can you tell us the lady Victra? How do you spell Victra? V-I-K-T-R-A. Okay. Okay. I think Chris has our first question. Yeah. So story there. One of the reasons we reached out to you, like I said, we're doing uh, profiles of drag performers across the country. But we're particularly interested in people who are performing in areas that legislative actions and restrictions have come into play. So obviously, oh, Tennessee, Tennessee, Tennessee. Tell us what you have faced in Tennessee in the past and if that has changed and gotten more restrictive in recent weeks. So I've been doing drag off and on in Tennessee um, since about 2003. I have never really dealt with any kind of legislative action personally with drag performances prior to this year. And that has been really fueled by, um, you know, far right and fascist, quite honestly, fascist groups making a big deal about all age drag shows. That's been the thing. I don't typically perform for, for people under 18. Um, the show that I MC is, is 18 and up. Um, it's at a, a great little shop here in town called South Crest. So it's, it's been fueled by all this um, really fear mongering that's been happening from, you know, politicians on the right and from some pundits and from some really strange Christian nationalists who have moved to the area because they've been run out of, of bluer states. Um, so they've come to Tennessee where, you know, it's it's safe to be a fascist. Right. You know, drag queens are, are being legislated but we have nazis and i'm not being hyperbolic i'm actual swastika wearing goose stepping arm in the air nazis marching down the street protesting drag shows and again quote unquote christians standing next to them so you, so you aren't just saying Nazi as in the terms when it, when people criticize the right and say, oh, you're a Nazi. You're saying they actually have the swastikas on and they're actually portraying that mindset. Yes. And they also have automatic rifles slung over their shoulders. Oh, my God. They're not doing this in Knoxville. They're doing this in Maribel. They're doing this in Cookville and Crossville. They're doing this in these smaller towns where they can get away with it because the city government will allow it or the sheriff or police chief is not going to interfere. You know, it's 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 really disturbing to see that 
you know, drag drag performers who do bring so much joy to people are being legislated out of public spaces, but we're totally okay with Nazis, fascists, white supremacists, um, Christian nationalism. We're, we're, we're totally okay with this level of like discourse being completely public and, and going unchallenged. Mm-hmm. So, so when you say it's not happening in Knoxville, do you, and you mentioned law enforcement, so do you find that in Tennessee, law enforcement is sympath- more sympathetic to the uh, the right wing or the white nationalists? And if so, is that county based is, or town based? Is it based in certain towns and not others? I want I want to believe that that's not the case. Of course, I, I want to believe that you know anybody who chooses a career in law enforcement does have the the greater good at heart. But what we're seeing is that the areas where the government tends to be more progressive or at least more democratic, we don't have Nazis marching in the street. We don't have the police, the administration of the police departments. And the sheriff's departments are not allowing such things to to go completely unchallenged. Mm-hmm. Knoxville Police Department has been very good about communicating with, you know, Knox Pride, with, you know, any queer organization that has had threats from Proud Boys or has had Nazis show up to protest. And they're not showing up frequently. Mm-hmm. I'm just I, I'm not saying that there are Nazis in their midst. I'm not saying that they're permitting it. I am saying that they definitely feel much more comfortable and less likely to be challenged. Challenged. Yeah, that's a great word. For it. They definitely feel less challenged in smaller towns in more conservative districts. Right. Maybe relation versus causation, but I'm I'm betting there's there's some there there. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) So a lot of these anti-drag bands seem to be very much rooted not in protecting children from joyful, you know, shows of of music or whatever dance. It seems to be a thinly veiled or not at all veiled attack on the trans community. And you are a drag performer who is also trans. Can you talk about how these things have affected you, specifically you as a trans person who also does drag? You know, trans people have always been a part of drag. When I first started doing drag in the early 2000s, I would say about a third of the performers at any given place were trans women. I do think that trans trans mask folks and uh, non-binary folks getting into drag um, is very exciting. And I, I love, I love seeing more drag Kings and I love seeing drag monsters and drag they, thems and all this, like all this huge um, explosion of creativity, but no, it, it's definitely not about drag. It's not about drag. It's never been about drag and it's not about protecting children. If it was about protecting children, we wouldn't have 1500 kids sitting in DCS custody in the state of Tennessee. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was speaking with the DCS worker that I'm working with, with my foster child, and she had said she she was going to try to come to a speech that I was presenting last night at a, an organization called Pachacacha, which is very cool, and you should look it up. Can you spell that for us, Story? Pachacacha is P-E-C-A. H-A-K-U-C-H-A, Pachacacha. Okay. 
Great. The go ahead. <laughs> but yes, yeah, she could not make it to my my presentation last night because she had to sit with the kids at the DCS office who didn't have a place to go. We literally have kids sitting in DCS offices. We have our public education system is falling apart. Teachers can't afford to stay in their classrooms. We've got gun violence is on the rise. We've got literal Nazis marching through the street. If you really cared about kids, you would also be affirming them. You wouldn't be taking away their gender affirming care because we know without question, we know that gender affirming care is suicide prevention and that it saves lives and that it reduces anxiety and it reduces the likelihood of a kid ending up, you know, in a variety of dangerous situations. So it's not about that. Mm -hmm. So if it's not about that, which I think we all agree on, at least on this little panel and all the LGBTQ plus people I know agree with, it's not about protecting children. It's not about drag. What do you think it's about? I think for some of our politicians, it's about scoring points with a hyper conservative Christian base. For some of them, it's for it's about scoring points with a far right fascist base. This is one of those areas where they're very aligned. Um, they just, they don't like queer people. They present anything queer as hypersexual, as inappropriate for children. And I mean, we see it over and over again. Any Like there's Disney princesses have been macking with Disney princes for, you know, <laughs> how many years now? Exactly. Yeah. The minute a, you know, there's a queer kiss in a kid's show, it's inappropriate. Because queerness is, to them, inappropriate. Queerness, to them, is inherently sexual. Inherently just too much. Deviant, yeah, I would, yeah. yeah. Deviant, yeah. And, and, that's, and that's, that's just how they view us. And they cannot, they cannot view me as a, a human being outside of my transness or in addition to my, my transness, in addition to my queerness, Despite the fact that I've probably done more in my, you know, in my activism and in my daily work to help the people around me than they have in the past 10 years. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's so frustrating. Well, so I, I, I want to know in your, you're in Knoxville, right? Okay. So you look like any woman I would see on the street. So do, I don't know if people recognize you as trans, but do you and your fellow performers now feel a danger if, for instance, you put on your outfit to go to the club and you have to get out of your car and walk into the club? I have heard some performers talk about, you know, they used to get ready at home and they didn't, they'd go to the bar and it was no big deal. And they've, they've stopped doing that and they go and get ready at the bar so that they, and then they, they get out of it before they go back. Wow. For me, the, and, and this is primarily our, our cis, you know, drag performers or, you know, cis male performers. Um, But like for me and for other trans folks, like we, we don't get to ever like just get a pass. We don't ever get to just be, you know, just be another cis person running around. So I do, I do have some, some passing privilege, which is a whole nother level of, of that's a whole nother discussion. We can, we can have sometime if you'd like about you know, passing privileges and, the, and all the, all the things that come along with that. But, you know, I, I do worry for my my trans siblings here in the state who don't have passing privilege and they don't need it. Don't don't get me wrong there. Like, right, right. That, that's neither here nor there. But it does it, like passing gives me some safety 
in some spaces. Mm-hmm. Whereas I am sincerely worried because I know that the folks that would commit violence against a drag performer can't distinguish between a drag performer and a trans person. And I don't think it's going to be a drag performer at a queer bar with many queer people around who is going to get attacked. It's going to be a trans person trying to go to the grocery store or trying to go to the doctor or trying to go to the bathroom who is going to get attacked because they are alone, because they are vulnerable, because they are obviously queer or they are obviously gender uh, divergent or non-conforming. That's the person I worry about. That's the person I lose sleep over every night. My child, I worry that somebody is going to harm my child because she is gender non-conforming. Mm-hmm. So, so let me ask, you're a, a foster parent. Is, was there any issues with that because of either the new laws or fear that laws that are, might be more draconian down the road might change your status as a, as a vetted and approved foster parent? Is that something you worry about? I definitely, I definitely worry about who I might run into, but I will say that the the people at DCS I've worked with have been nothing but gracious, nothing but compassionate, nothing but wonderful to me and to my foster child. They have been affirming. They have, to the greatest extent possible, even given all the the um, the legal challenges that we as trans people face, always use her name whenever possible. Always use her pronouns you know, have been great about making sure she gets the the level of care that she needs. Obviously, the, they cannot provide her gender affirming care as far as hormone replacement therapy or anything like that. But they have affirmed her as far as, you know, making sure that she's she is she is treated with respect and with with dignity in her gender. So, so what is the the law right now in either Knoxville or Tennessee as the state? for gender affirming care. So much has passed in Tennessee. I, I don't want to get it wrong. Have they blocked gender affirming care completely? They have they have blocked gender affirming care for anybody under the age of 18. Those who have already been receiving gender affirming care are kind of grandfathered in. I believe it's for about a year. It's it seems to be in flux. They've they've got so many different anti-trans and anti-queer things going on. It's hard to keep up with what's going yeah. on with them. I think that's part of the plan though, too, is to keep oh, everybody off kilter, off balance, and you just don't even know what's legal, what's not legal. And then that puts medical professionals and other things people into those uncomfortable places where they're scared all the time, even if they're not in that particular community because they don't want to get yeah, I mean, yeah, it's all an intentional fear-mongering thing and i've heard from medical professionals who are like i i I have to i have to leave the state because i cannot ethically practice if i cannot provide gender affirming care Mm -hmm. you know i I can't ethically do my job or i'm afraid of what will be considered gender affirming care is therapy gender affirming care is there like there's just there's there are all these gray areas and what's worse is SB1 is the bill that passed um, banning gender affirming care for minors. But SB5 is is a bill that has been in the pipeline and it is very cruel. It goes it goes beyond banning gender affirming care. It has some some language in there uh, around therapy. It has some language in there around like anybody a kid might go to like a guidance counselor or a teacher or something like that would have to inform their family of any discussions like this. And it's just, 
it's monstrous it, and it's going to get a kid killed. If there's a reason, if your kid is not comfortable telling you about their about their gender, about what they're going through, there's there's probably a reason for that. Mm-hmm. I think that Kaylee is absolutely right in that th- this is all kind of a setup. It's a mm-hmm. setup for more to come. And I and there are bills across the country now that are targeting not just 18 and under gender affirming care, but adults as well who are supposed to have complete free will to do what they want with their bodies. And uh, there are legis- there are bills across the country coming into play. They haven't been passed yet, but they're coming into play to block adults from uh, gender-affirming care too, which is, is just beyond insane. I want to ask you, Story, are you from Tennessee? And have you thought or considered leaving the state? So I, I was born in Arkansas, but I came here to live um, with my family. My mother's side of the family is up here. And I actually went away to Texas, not another. Another one. You're all over Arkansas, Texas. Arkansas, Texas, yeah. I've I've made the the transphobic state tour. (laughs) But I came back to take care of my grandparents. Uh, My grandfather was was terminally ill and my, my grandmother was trying to take care of him by herself and she just couldn't do that. So I came back. But yes, yes, we we have very seriously consider talking about leaving like we've we've talked about it we've considered it i don't feel like i i'm not ready to to give in i'm not ready to let them run me out yet because i do have i do have some significant privilege that i can use you know i have a master's degree in education i i have a lot of skills that i can use um to try to push back on this stuff and i have a lot of privilege that many of my trans siblings don't so I, I feel I do feel a responsibility to stay here and fight as long as I can. I do worry about what will happen if in the 2024 election, you know, both houses and the presidency, if they all end up uh, Republican again, especially with a leader like Ron DeSantis or DJT. And we're fucked. Yeah, I don't I don't see how we'll be able to continue in the state because I think it will it will go. I think transness will be I, I think queerness in general will be criminalized to a point where they are locking for their imprisoning people and i think they'll start passing laws um we've seen some laws where they're talking about death penalty for sex crimes and we've also seen some laws where they're trying to turn queerness into a sex crime wow i do think that we're headed in that direction um, and I'm I'm hoping I hope that I'm just being an alarmist. I hope that I'm just being overly cautious. Well, this is usually my position story. I'm usually Kaylee is much more the optimist than I am, and I'm usually <laughs> the one saying, "Yeah, we're going into hell." I I agree with you. I think, and I, but at the same time that I agree with you, and I do think we're going down a very very dangerous path that could lead us to much more uh, dangerous outcomes. I also think that there are enough people in this country, if they choose to stand up and vote and take control again, can stop it. I just personally don't know where that's going to go. I, I've heard a lot of people talk about the chill, the, the young folks. Gen Z is going to save us. And I, I absolutely believe that Gen Z is a force to be reckoned with. And I am so inspired by Gen Z, like Gen Zers, Every time I, I meet with somebody or I see them in action, I see these group of young people in action, but I don't think it's fair for us to put that on them. Millennials, Gen X, we have got to mobilize. We have got to go out and support Gen Z. We've got to go out and fight for ourselves. 
we cannot just pass it off. It's funny because a lot of times in the, the the rhetoric that you hear is, well, these old boomers, and once they all die off, things will get better. Freaking wrong. DeSantis is literally younger than Chris and only this much older than me. This man is Gen X. Like he's a pure Gen X man. So no, it's not boomers. He's very close to being a millennial, you know, and I agree with yeah. you that we can't put that weight on the next generation. It's and not I've, fair. I've said this, I've said this for years. I'm 61 years old, so I'm older than everybody in the room here, but they have been saying that. And now thank you, Kaylee, for pointing that out. So they, <laughs> <laughs> I have to tell him he's old in every episode. It's every like a episode, rule now. <laughs> it's a rule. We're going to have it on a Chiron eventually. But I remember in the early seventies, people saying, Oh, once these, this generation dies off and the young people come in, everything's going to be fine. It is total absolute bullshit the young generation has not been a voting force until very very recently they're getting better um, but i totally agree with you story that it's not the job of the young generation if we keep passing this off to the younger generation nothing will ever get accomplished and it's not just a republican issue either agreed we have got to hold democrats and and other progressive groups, political parties, we've got to hold them accountable because they get in our way. There's there's a reason that young people, there's a reason that millennials and Gen Z don't vote. There's a reason for this apathy. And a lot of it has to do with, it just feels like there's no reason. I don't think any state is a red state. Tennessee could be purple, is, is purple, but they've gerrymandered everything. They've they've restricted everything to a point where it just feels hopeless. But we also see when when folks are excited about a politician, when po- folks are excited about proposal, like they get out. They'll they'll make that change. But you got to give us something to be excited about. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think part of the apathy would, that we see, not just in, in Gen Z and young voters, but other voters as well, all voters, I mean, is because it's not very exciting. So the way that this recent slate of anti-LGBTQ plus stuff that's going on across the country is it may get people excited the same way it did in Kansas with the abortion ruling when they decided to come back and fight that. So there's a little bit of hope there. Yeah, it's just sad that it gets really negatively extreme before... Yeah. So, sorry, you you are an educator. You have a master's in education, and I know you do some nonprofit work. Can you talk about how you utilize your skills as an educator and your and your degree? And are you going to eventually work in the school system as an administrator? Like, what's your what's your plan and how to use that? So, I left my position as I was a special educator up until last May, and I, I left my position doing no small part to kind of the climate and not feeling safe as a openly trans person in the school. I would love to go back. I would love to go back to the classroom. I would love to go back. I would love to be an administrator. I don't feel like that's going to be something that that can happen in Tennessee, unfortunately. As you can imagine, the rhetoric around, you know, CRT and, you know, queer things in school. Well, I'm a, I am a walking queer thing. <laughs> you are. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of hard to, I, I can't not be that. And I'm not going to be that. I'm not going to not be openly, visibly queer because I would have given anything to see openly visible, happy, well-adjusted making it work, queer people growing up. It would have changed my life to know that there were trans people 
out in the world doing their thing when I was growing up. I didn't, I didn't know what trans people were. I didn't know that that was an option until I was 18 and walked into a, I actually walked into a, a bar that used to exist here in Knoxville and saw a trans woman. And I was like, wait a minute. I thought, I thought drag was, you know, men dressing as women. And they're like, well, men and trans women. I was like, what's this? What? (laughs) Hold on a second. And my whole world just kind of like, whoa, that's an option. I can wait. I don't have to just do this horrible boy thing. Can I ask how old you are story? Because I think that's important to to in reference to what you're talking about. Uh, I am 30. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Historically, that's important. And what your experience was growing up uh, as opposed to somebody my age, Kalia, who was growing <laughs> up. So, <laughs> so had you been had you been doing active in the trans or in the drag community or anything? You you came to a bar at eighteen and you know had your mind opened up by the idea of trans people, but you you must have been aware. How how what was that journey like for you? Must have been aware of what of queerness to uh, be in a queer bar at eighteen. Kind of. So I knew I knew. I knew I didn't know how to boy. Okay. That very early on. I knew like every all all the boys around me seemed to know how to boy. They seemed to know how to do these boys. (laughs) And it made no sense to me. And I was always being like kind of reprimanded or pushed away from the things that I wanted to do. Gymnastics and I have sisters. um, And they were doing gymnastics and they were doing beauty pageants and they were doing all these really wonderful girl things. And I was like, oh, this, that's, no, no, that's what I want to do. But I would ask for that and I would get baseball. I'd ask for gymnastics and I would get basketball. So I just kind of gave up on doing anything except swim team. I I'd still enjoyed swim team. I don't think the Speedo had anything at all to do with it. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> it does look like bikini bottoms. Um <laughs> But I knew something was weird. And then about this time, young folks, if you're listening, you might want to sit down for this. About the time that I um, became a teenager, the internet started being a big thing. (laughs) (laughs) I got this really odd thing called America Online. (gasps) I can still hear the tone in my head. Yeah. You've got mail. (laughs) So I found sites like gay.com and xy.com. And this made some sense to me because I knew I was attracted to men and masculine presenting people. So this made more sense to me. So I was like, okay, maybe I'm that. Um, And I also knew that like some of these queer folks didn't necessarily like some of those boy things. So I was like, okay, maybe that's make makes more sense to me. And then I met a trans woman, a trans woman named China. She was a performer at the at the club that used to be here in Knoxville. Beautiful, beautiful woman. And that kind of threw me for a loop. And I was like, okay, wait, let's, let's think about this. And then in my early twenties, I did, I did attempt to transition, but due to some familial circumstances and uh, the climate was very hostile back then. I remember just how horribly I was treated by some, uh, some folks uh, around town getting pulled over and pulled out of my car and all sorts of stuff. So I I did have to delay my transition and and 
but I've, I've figured it out and I've made it to a, uh, to a place where I get to be me all the time. And I now have a wonderful partner who loves me for me. And I have a wonderful kid who is, we're going to like just push through and figure it out together. And I'm happy. If I could just get the the state to stop trying to kill us, <laughs> yeah, yeah, little things like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, just the minor stuff. Well, let me ask you about the performance part of your life. Yeah. You said earlier you were the MC at the drag show. Are you just the MC, or do you perform as well? Tell us about that. Yeah, so um, I, I do perform as well. It is a amateur show. It, all of our queer bars here in town are twenty one and up. So we wanted to give a space for younger queer folks in town because we are a college town. We have the University of Tennessee at Knoxville up here. Um, and we wanted to give queer, younger queer folks a queer space to be as well. We also wanted to give young up and coming entertainers a place to practice and work out things and figure out their stuff. And we also wanted it not to be a competition. So we just, we kind of decided to just do the thing. So we just set up our little show at a great coffee shop here in town called South Press, which is owned by the lovely Jocelyn Fish, who is also a trans person and a trans right activist and one of the most amazing people I've ever known. Um, so we just kind of set it up and started doing it. And we, we have a great crowd. Uh, we have not had nearly as many young people step out to perform as I thought we would. Um, we do have a couple. We have a couple of young folks who have who've come out and are just twirling and ha uh, bucking and, you know, doing all kinds of death drops and having a great time. But I, I'm, I'm shocked because I, I know how much how much that meant to me and to my generation coming up. You know, that's interesting because in Fresno, we have a big drag community here. And I used to I used to be a DJ at a nightclub for many, many years. And my husband was the manager. So I've been in clubs a long, long time. We were always surprised at the lack of young people that came out to join the IDC or to perform at the clubs. It was always this certain group of people. And it's still kind of that way, even to this day. I think that's odd. Well, and I remember there being a lot of amateur performers when I was coming. I mean, we we had two, We there were two bars in town and they both had amateur nights and they both would have, you know, eight, 10, 12 contestants, eight, 20, you know, new drag performers going to perform. And and I do think part of it is that our society has become more accepting of queer people and the queer bar has not is not doesn't have that sacredness that it used to have. I, I know you know you understand what I'm talking about. Absolutely. That was the one place that we could go and be queer and not have to worry about anything. For cis queer people in most space in most areas now, it's not as bad yeah we always joke oh you can go to applebee's now and be gay so yeah. um yeah which is not how it used to be well and i remember getting kicked out of a chili's with my boyfriend because they didn't serve our our kind there oh wow in 2000 or 2001 i was about 16 good grief yeah and i, re I distinctly remember that and that would never happen now right At well it might in tennessee yeah. i don't know <laughs> yeah. mine tennessee um but it, it is strange, um, but I am, I'm, I'm happy that, you know, queerness is more accepted, but I do worry sometimes that, you know, trans people are going to be left behind. The trans community has been under attack in many of these red states and many of these conservative states for a long time now, um, but it took 
these politicians attacking drag to get the queer community really engaged and activated and, you know, pushing back. And I do worry that if they stop attacking drag and just keep attacking trans folks, there's going to be much less pushback. I, I think that's a, I think that's a totally valid point. And I think, in my opinion, because uh, Kaylee and I used to run an LGBTQ community center. And so we've been, you know, working in the community for a very long time. And we had our own issues where trans people said we weren't accepting of trans people, even though we was called the LGBT community center and we had trans board members, et cetera. But I think the reason that politicians are going after trans people is that, you know, the gay movement's been going on for a very long time. And of course, trans people have been part of that for just as long of, of a time. But it's kind of a new thing to people. I know even gay people who don't understand the trans thing. It's gotten a lot better than it was 10 years ago. But gay people don't always even understand what gender identity is and gender dysphoria and all that. So, so I think it's an easy target because the general American public has no idea. They don't even know the difference between gender identity and sexual orientation and sex and all that. So it's an easy target. But I mean, you're, you're right. Um, you know, I can't even, I can't count on, you know, cis gay men to understand. That's not to say that none of them do, but there are, there are definitely, you know, other queer people in the community who don't understand. And there are even some who don't support. There is a movement right now to remove the T from LGBT. And, that is horrifying. And I, I can't like, I can't wrap my mind around being so willing to abandon, uh, especially a vulnerable group of people like the trans community is. It's a very small community. We tend to experience a lot of discrimination at workplaces and, you know, education. We have higher risk factors for a lot of these things that negatively impact our lives. So we tend not to have as much money and all these other things that make it very difficult for us to have, you know, any substantial power and in, be able to affect change in any substantial way without allies. Um, and the fact that there's a, you know, a subset of queer people who are ready to separate us from the rest of the community is is scary and tragic and and sad. And isn't it interesting because, and interesting in quotes, because this is what gay people went through for decades. And now that they've reached a point even the most effeminate of gay men, they may face the glance here and there, but they're not subject really to the kind of discrimination that trans people are. They've kind of been integrated into society in a much more privileged way. And now they, some of them are saying they're not, they're not as understanding to the trans community, which is, you know, I would say about 20 years behind the gay community in terms of civil rights, maybe a little more. So it, it, as people get integrated, I always say this, you know, the same way power begets more power, privilege begets more privilege. So we we cannot leave our trans community behind. We have to lock arms with them and support them and fight for them. I appreciate that. And and I, I hope that people hear your message and I hope that, that that continues to be the case. But I also want to remind everybody, if you choose not to, if you choose not to support trans people, I, I need everybody to understand that this is a litmus test. They mm -hmm. are, they're coming after us because we're easy. We're an easy target because nobody's pushing back. They're coming after us. They will not stop there. If they, if they can legislate us out of existence, if they can do this harm that they're, what some people are calling a genocide, and I'm getting really close to calling a genocide. If they can do that, don't think that they're not going to come for 
cis queer people next. Don't think that they're not coming for women. Don't think that they're not coming for people of color. They are. We're just an easy way to figure out what they can get away with and what they can't get away with yet and how to get away with the things that they're trying to do to us. No, exactly. This is, this is the start. This is, this is how they, they're, this is how fascism works. Right. Yeah. You, again, like you said, the, the easy vulnerable prey and that like you, I love that you called it a litmus test because it definitely is. And our responsibility as people in the community is to not let it go unanswered. We have to stand and fight. And I know we talk about this a lot. Like, does it make sense to protest here in Fresno, California? These things aren't actually affecting me personally or people in my neighborhood, but it is important to stand up and say, because everybody's watching to see if it goes unnoticed or unchallenged. And so that's definitely our responsibility to use our privilege to to do that. Absolutely. Okay, so um, I got a fun question just to move us a little bit here. Can you tell us about the Miss Valentine pageant that you run or do or yeah, yeah tell us about it. So the Miss Valentine's pageant. Um, so Miss Valentine was my first title. I, I was Miss Valentine 2005, but unfortunately the bar closed and the nobody picked up the pageant. So uh, year before last, I said, well, this is a part of like my history and it's something I really love. Um, So we're just going to start doing it again. So we started doing, I got together with some other former Miss Valentines and we just started to do the pageant again. And we just crowned our second uh, Miss Valentine, BB Alexander. We had Ebony Alexander and then BB Alexander. I think they're making it a family thing. (laughs) (laughs) They're going to have to adopt another another Alexander so that they can get a, a third one. But um, both stunning, amazing entertainers. And I've always loved drag pageantry. Um, I'm very excited. Um, I, I know this interview will be out after the pageant happens, but I have become the new promoter for Continental in Tennessee. So the Continental pageants, pageantry system is an amazing pageantry system that's been going on for, I think, 43 years now. It has not happened in five years, so I've brought Continental back to Tennessee. So we're having the Miss Tennessee Continental pageant, um, and we'll crown a brand new Miss Tennessee Continental. And later this year, I hope to have, I hope to bring the Elite, which is drag performers over the age of 45, and Miss Plus, Miss Continental Plus, um, which I believe is over 220 pounds. Um, there's also a Mr. category, and I'm, I'm working on Mr. if I can find enough contestants, but... Cool. That's amazing. Great representation. So let me ask you a story. We have a question that we're asking all of the drag performers that we have interviewing with us through the month of June. Who would you most like to perform with, living or dead? What performer would you like to share the stage with? And what song would you like to do? What's your dream performance? If I could have one more day or one more time to um, to see her perform, and not even perform with her, but just to see her perform... Um, I would love to see my mother, uh, my drag mother, the Lady Geneva. Sorry, I'm trying not to get emotional. No, good. you're fine. She was a singular talent. She was she was such an incredible performer. She did not have amazing costumes or great hair or exceptional makeup skills. Not to say she wasn't beautiful because she was, but she had this charisma and this energy that I have never seen in any other performer she could she could go out 
five nights a week, do the same number in the same outfit. And it didn't matter how many times you'd seen it before. You were just wrapped. She did Beth Hart's Am I the One? That was her signature number. That was her her number. And it was, it was such an incredible thing to behold. I remember begging her, hey, will you do Am I the One tonight? Or being really excited when she did Am I the One. And we worked together at the Rainbow Club. And I would always go out and watch. It didn't matter what I was doing. I was going to drop what I was doing. If I was changing for my number, like I was, it, I was going to go out and watch her do Am I the One um, because it was such an incredible thing. Gosh, I haven't heard the name Beth Hart and I don't know how long. amazing amazing artist who does not get the recognition she she deserves um but i will say that there are every millennial and most of the gen xers queer people in knoxville know beth hart because of the lady geneva wow wow Um, and love beth hart um if beth hart ever makes it to knoxville um, she will she will definitely have a sold out show just with the the Gen Xer and millennial queer folks who experienced Beth Hart through the Lady Geneva. Uh, yeah, I was in Texas when she passed. I always regret not getting to uh, not being here and not not getting to see her, you know, in her final days. But I'm sure she'd be very proud, though, of what you've done and continue to do. Yeah, I'm. She, uh, she'd probably have some very choice words for everything going on right now. (laughs) (laughs) She was, uh, as she would say, she was such an effing lady. Uh, (laughs) So yeah, she'd have some choice words for, for our politicians up here. But I, I, I do hope that I, I hope would hope that she'd be proud of, of what we're doing. And I love choice words. I would have loved to have talked to her. So <laughs> he had a mouth on her. I can, uh, I'll try, I'll try to find some YouTube links for her. Oh, so you great. Can, so you that would be great. She was, she was something. So, well, speaking of social media, can you want to tell the people your social media handles where they can find more information about the work that you do and where you are and all of those things? So as an elder millennial, and somebody who is terrible at capitalism. Um, I am not great with my socials. Uh, I am on Facebook, um, Story Van S. Probably we probably have to have a mutual for you to find me, but you can find me if you look really hard. I would say our socials, if you'd like to be involved or know more about kind of what we do, Knox Pride, those are the socials you need to follow. So we do have Facebook, Instagram, we do have a TikTok and a Twitter. And I am, I'm in a lot of our TikToks on Knox Pride, mostly because they make me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Kalia makes me too, so. We got to get our good speakers in front of the microphones. That's that's how this works. Yeah. Well, Story, this was an amazing interview. You're so smart and so inspiring and so, you know, down to earth and you know exactly what you're talking about. I don't like the fact that you called yourself an elder because that means I'm dead pretty much. But... <laughs> Oh, well, being called an elder millennial was, was, when I first heard that term, I was like, oh, no. You know, when I was, when Kaylee and I, around the time we first met, like I said, we were running an LGBT community center and somebody from one of the college or student newspapers came in and um, they asked me if they could do an interview with me. And I think I was 50 at the time, which, okay. And it's one of the, it came out and they're like, elder LGBTQ person was the headline. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> 
So, yeah, we all get there eventually. But, you know, I don't even most days I wake up and I go, oh, yeah, I'm an adult. Um, I can't <laughs> waking up and be like, oh, no, I'm an elder. So, oh, OK, it's well. just it's it's weird to me because in my head, my mother is in her 40s. But clearly, yes. that's that's not what's going on anymore. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Like, when did they wait? When did they stop being in their 40s? Right. Because I. I'm now 40 oh, happened and oh, I'm like, oh, wait, oh, 40 happened. That was close. Kelly. You got close. Got close <laughs> to I, say. Think we, I think we just embrace it. Yeah. Because yes. I think like, we all, is, we like, all in our heads. We're all 25. Yeah, yeah. We're all 25 in our heads, no matter how old we get. So here's the secret. None of us know what we're doing. We're all thinking it like we yeah. do. <laughs> yeah. 40 seemed really old until I got there. And then I was like, this is a young is age. <laughs> but 50, my God. No, I just, just kidding. Turned, uh, I turned 38 in April. So, well, happy birthday. A little bit late, but yes. Thank you for taking the time to do the interview with us when all this chaos is happening around you. But especially thank you for what you do in the community and standing up. And I really appreciate what you said earlier, which is, you know, I've thought about leaving Tennessee, but I don't want to do it because I don't want them to force me out. And that's that's exactly the right stance to take. So stay safe. OK, thank you. Thank you all. So once again, just thank you so much to Story for taking the time. It was a really, really, really great interview. I'm really glad we were able to spend the time with her and get into some of the weeds of that. And if her name or voice sounds familiar, she was featured on a couple different news channels. Um, if you go to Twitter, uh, you can see her clips where she's talking about the fear of being a trans person out in public, living her regular trans person yeah, life. There's an interview having, on MSNBC, I believe. Right. And being afraid that someone like what if she dances in the aisles of the grocery store, et cetera. So anyways, that was a really great interview. And I'm really glad that we had a chance to talk to her. And we have a couple more interviews uh, that are going to come out next week for this podcast of Pride interviews <laughs> that we're doing this month. So, Chris, want to tell the this glut of Pride yes. interviews. Don't get used to doing. it, people. We're tired, but <laughs> no, just kidding, just kidding. We love it. Uh, but Chris, why don't you tell the people who we've got coming down the pipe next week? All right. So, coming up this month, we have an interview with Kathy Amendola, who is with Cruising in the Castro. She does tours, walking tours around the Castro District. And then we have, at the end of the month, we have Peter Robertson with the Bulldog Pride Fund talking about all the philanthropic stuff he does and what he does around the community. So stay tuned for that. Yeah. And then in July, we will be back to our regular schedule of two episodes a month on the first Friday and the third Friday, as you know. And we are going to get back into the swing of things. We have a politician scheduled interview and we're fingers are crossed that that all happens, but we'll get back into our big politician, big yeah, politician, kind of, a big, kind of a big deal. If you know, if you know, you know, and uh, we'll also get back to our regular stuff of, you know, what to watch and what to read. Those are little segments we kind of took a break from in, in June. And then of course we've got our live show on the third Friday of the month as well. So a lot of cool stuff still coming. And we're, we, I got to tell you guys, you know, you may or may not know this, but we work in advance too. We've got an interview scheduled that'll probably happen in August or September with an author whose book has been the victim of being banned in certain states because of its LGBT theme. So we're going to be working on stuff like that. And we're always open for suggestions, ideas. If there's something that you want us to cover on our show, whether it be local to Fresno or more national, or you just want our random ass 
out of our rear end opinions on stuff, we'd be happy to do that. So mailbag episodes are also definitely on our horizon. You can email your questions, comments, suggestions, and et cetera to it's a queer thing, T-H-A-N-G, at gmail.com. But before we go, Chris, they had a new exciting news story you wanted to share with the class. Go, go, go. Yes. You know what happened today? The judge struck down an Arkansas ban on trans youth care. And does anybody know, and I, I'm saying this as if someone's going to answer, does anybody know who the new governor of Arkansas is? No, I do not know. It was Sarah Huckabee Sanders. And if you all know her, she was the spokes. Oh, her. Yeah. Wasn't she the press secretary for Trump? She was. She was point? the press yeah. secretary for Orange Hair Trump. And she lied every single day. And she's lying since. Uh, and she passed this law that was saying that Trans youth cannot get health care and a judge overturned it. And I will say, you know, as much as we've been going through in the last year and even further back, but especially the last year where conservative legislators and governors and mayors across the country have been restricting the civil rights of trans people, LGBTQ people. We are now seeing that judges are overturning these rulings and saying, nope. You can't do that. So this is one example of that. It actually makes me think of some of the LGBT fights for equality that were happening in the 80s and the 90s, where there would be kind of a a ballot initiative or a bunch of, of angry people and like little tiny laws would get passed at city councils or whatever. And then a judge would have to step in or there would be such a backlash that the next ballot initiative. You know what I mean? I feel like this is yeah, this is yeah. very reminiscent and. Eventually, we got to a better place in a lot of ways. So you have said before, and I think it's an apt observation, that the trans community is 30 years, 20 to 30 years behind the LGB as a mass, you know, community in terms of political power. So, God, I just hope that my daughter is my age, that they're not... I mean, good. Grief. Well, uh, you know, uh, good, good hope, because I expected at, at this point when when marriage equality was passed in the, across the country in 2015, I thought, OK, we're we're pretty much done. I mean, where else can we go? We've got the civil rights that we wanted. And now it is backslid, backslid, backslid. Um, but what we can count on. And even though you have judges that are um, appointed by Trump or any other conservative Republican or president, it doesn't mean they're going to vote against the LGBTQ plus community because they are going by the Constitution. And if you go by the Constitution, mm-hmm. we have equal rights. So that's what's turning up now. Yep. 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 So we're going to end this episode on a little bit of a positive note there. Yeah. So keep on keeping on, my friends. And we will be back next week with some more episodes. But in the meantime, between now and then, just remember, happy Pride. <laughs> happy Pride, everybody. See you next time.